Welcome everyone to another episode of the Wondering Christians podcast. In today's episode, this really is an introduction to a wider series. I think what we're going to call this series is on the nature of human identity and sexuality. What we will be doing is exploring how Western philosophy has changed over, say, the past couple of centuries, really in a very general, quite abstract way, before using what we've learnt to dive into matters such as the LGBT, matters such as homosexuality, transgenderism, abortion and euthanasia and maybe various other ones as well. We're doing this because we think it is, as Christians, it is important to talk about Um, especially in light of how lies sprint, whereas truth tends to uh, crawl behind and does take its time to uh, catch up. And so overall, I I would say many things that people have been told and even taught in education these days about matters such as homosexuality and transgenderism, they are very shallow. They are very much just words. And even though they will claim things like, oh, I was born in the wrong body, there's no actual evidence to uh, suggest this, or even being homosexual or having homosexual inclinations rather as being a matter of genetics, this also has no backing behind it either. And so I think it is important that we explore these, look at what secular society says, and then um, look at what the Bible says as well. Just as a bit of a spoiler, really, I do think what the Bible says is far superior and does actually match with the reality of nature and the universe, as opposed to what uh, the the secularists say. But there you go. I've been speaking for about two minutes. So do you want to add anything else onto that, Gomes? Well, I agree with uh, what you said. There's this kind of intellectual plague in society in western society nowadays where the solid rigid strong intellectual rational foundation that grew in the past two and a half thousand years it's slowly dying um, with this new subjectivism introduced mostly in the 20th century and one of the biggest fruits there are other fruits socialism for example maybe or other progressive ideas but one of the main fruits of this uh, subjective of this subjectivism in society is this idea that you can warp your identity to be whatever you feel like it to be yeah and and just to show how much this is infiltrated the church really let me just share a few figures so in regards to pornography a survey suggests about two-thirds of christian men watch pornography at least monthly the same rate as men who do not claim to be christian and in another survey it also suggests that over half of pastors have said that they viewed porn within the last year In regards to divorce, among adults who identify as Christians but rarely attend church, about 60% have been divorced. And of those who attend church regularly, uh, the number is at about 68%. And then in regards to homosexuality and transgenderism, in a 2014 Pew Research Centre study, about 51% of evangelical millennials said same-sex behaviour is morally acceptable. And finally, in regards to abortion, a Lifeway survey found that about 70% of women who had an abortion self-identify as Christians and 43% said they attended a Christian church at least once a month or more at the time they aborted their baby. 
So those are some really quite staggering figures of how these ideas and these almost Gnostic philosophies, which we will talk about later, have infiltrated the church and how the church has been woefully ineffective at countering these things really yeah there's been this unity of subjectivism and the sexual revolution obviously the sexual revolution um, and these problems with divorce marriage and lust they all stem from not having your foundations and belief in scripture ultimately but this unity of the sexual revolution with subjectivism has birthed a lot of these problems um especially these gender problems and uh, sexual preferences and stuff like that. It's a unity of these two problems, definitely. And as Peter said, it has infiltrated the church and churches. So even evangelical churches that are are right on a lot of theology and have a lot of Christians in them, they, they have been affected as well. It's not just the older churches that people consider to be dying off, uh, etc., that have accepted homosexuality or transgenderism or ra- some kind of racial theory. It's even current good churches. Uh, just today I watched a video of a guy called David Platt, which is a solid preacher, solid missionary, very good missionary. He was borderline preaching critical race theory, which is not good. So it has infiltrated a lot of the church. Just to give a another idea as well, have you heard of the Defence of Marriage Act. No. So the Defence of Marriage Act is an American federal law that recognises that marriage is between one man and one woman. However, in 2013, the Windsor decision, the United States Supreme Court ruled that the Defence of Marriage Act no longer applied. Mm -hmm. And in fact, the majority opinion accused the supporters of the Defence of Marriage Act of being moted motivated by things such as animosity, hostility and hatred. Uh, In fact, the report itself goes further. Mm -hmm. It claimed their purpose was to, quote, disparage, injure, degrade, demean, humiliate and harm people in same-sex unions and to brand them as unworthy, to impose a disadvantage of a stigma and to, quote, deny them equal dignity. So what does that tell you? I mean, it it tells me that this court has not only said that marriage is not between a man and a woman, but it's also stated that people who do believe in such matters, that marriage is between a man and a woman, that these people are hostile, hateful and uh, evil, really. Well, that doesn't surprise me because I was I was listening to another guy speak on this issue, a guy called Ben Shapiro, I think it was him, and he was talking about how the left and these uh, relativists, they take the moral high ground because they don't have the winning uh, fight in, they don't have the winning fight either on moral standings or just rational standings, but they take this route because... Um, and they and they do it and they do it really well because that's what people want to hear. They want to feel morally on top and uh, morally good, whereas conservatives uh, and the church, uh, especially conservatives, maybe they take their approach on politics and society on a uh, realistic, uh, rational level. 
and they propose solutions and they propose tax incentives or whatever whatever the policy is they 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 propose those things whereas the defense from the relativists is always moral and though it might not be true and it often isn't true their opinion because they take this moral high ground it enables them to fight back so yeah that does that doesn't surprise they they have to paint the other side as morally evil otherwise they don't have an argument for their for most of their pol- for a lot of their policies uh for example um even the social welfare system and a lot of it you know tries to tackle real problems and some of it might work yet a lot of the defense if you try to debate someone on it it's some kind of moralistic or virtue signaling defense and not an actual will this work or has this worked yeah, instead of like giving a rel- instead of giving a legitimate explanation, they usually throw kind of like puffed up words, mm-hmm. yeah, like highly charged hot button issue words like yeah. racist, homophobic, yeah. Yeah. Islamophobic, and this is exactly what the chairman of the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights wrote disdainfully that phrases such as religious liberty and religious freedom will stand for nothing except hypocrisy, so long as they remain code words for discrimination, intolerance, racism, sexism, homophobia, Islamophobia, Christian supremacy, or any other form of intolerance. <laughs> and do you notice that the phrase religious liberty, in, in the report he put the, he put the word religious liberty in sneer quotes, as, as if it was illegitimate, instead of a foundational right to the... Society of the United States of America for crying out loud. And it does feel to me that the next thing that they are going to target is that they are eventually going to come around and target religious liberty itself. And in many ways, it already has happened. Think about all the campus speakers who've been deplatformed because of people who have thrown these word grenades into the arena. We actually were going to have Billy Graham's son come down to England to a various stadiums, I think it was and talk of theology and evangelise and so on. However, his visit was banned because people complained to the owners of the stadium and he couldn't come to the United Kingdom and do it. Wow, we had him here, I think, one or two years ago. I think it was two years ago. And, and really... And it was fine, thankfully. <laughs> In Portugal, this is. And, and that's good. And But really, this attack on religious liberty has been going on for, at this point, a fair few years. Those who resist the secular moral revolution have lost things like jobs, businesses, teaching positions. They've lost the rights to be foster parents, been forced to shut down adoption centres. And the list of things that, that have gone on, it's, it's likely to grow. As, as time goes on, I'm sure you've heard of the Christian bakery with the, ho- the homosexuals who took them to court over a cake. <laughs> Charming. You know, and this new communist, politically correct orthodoxy is pr- being promoted all across the world when you think about it, you know. Uh, it's being promoted by Western nations. Yeah. It's being promoted by the United Nations, the European Union, even private foundations, the media, and... Even wealthy nations like the United Kingdom, I dare say, and the United States, they've been pushing and trying to strong arm poorer mm-hmm. nations that take our aid yeah. to change their laws on things like abortion and sexuality as a prerequisite for our aid. Mm-hmm. Man, mm-hmm. that's nice, isn't it? We're not 
giving them because they need it. We're mm-hmm. giving mm-hmm. it them because they have changed their ways and they can bugger one another up the arse. <laughs> and yeah, you see this new rehashed act in the US called the Equality Act. It's nothing to do with equality, really. It's got to do with the government being able to to have power against the parents' will to teach their kids homosexual history or whatever they they want to call it. That might be coming in place any time now, but uh, it's just one of the... It's just slow, uh, step by step, they're taking control of these things. And I think uh, what we've touched on is, is not that they're so against religious liberty. It's more Christian, even Orthodox Jewish and uh, Orthodox Muslim maybe tradition and beliefs even though uh, most of the attacks I've seen have been either on Jews or on Christians and what they're really doing is just instituting this state religion it's it's literally a state religion because they have their faith really they they haven't they can't prove it through, through science these multiple genders other than male and female they can't prove a lot of these sex orientations as in if it's from birth, if it's not from birth, etc. Uh, a lot of these economic ideas that they have, especially around uh, racial issues, they don't have any substance to defend it. There's no, there's nothing that can really defend socialism against capitalism, for example. So their beliefs, it's, it's just a faith. They have this blind belief in their feelings. And as you'll notice, it's not just being relative, a relativist that will get you the approval of this religion, this state religion. It's having the right feelings. Because if you feel that homosexuality is a sin, for example, then you're still wrong. You're still objectively wrong. There's only one objective standard, these doctrines that they introduce. When you were talking about how they create these words to call people, it's the same as religion. In religion, you'd call someone a heretic, you'd call someone an infidel or uh, whatever, a barbarian, maybe, I don't know. Call, or you'd call him a agnostic, you'll call him a uh, Aryan, as we discussed in the last podcast. It's the same to discredit them, because if someone is one of those things, then it, it's not good to be associated or to, be, to have those ideas. And that's the same thing. It's just in the past authoritarian religion would be tyrannical and if you didn't have the right opinions you couldn't get to the right places it's the same thing here with this new state state religion definitely and i think a fantastic example of that as well is communist china i think the problem is is that many people treat morality as a list of rules but in reality the moral system rests on a world view and so in many of the decisions we make we aren't just deciding what we want to do but we are expressing our view of the purpose of human life i think c.s lewis put it this way the christian and the materialist hold different beliefs about the universe they can't both be right the one who is wrong will act in a way which simply doesn't fit the real universe close quote and i think what our, perhaps what our aim is in these podcasts is really so that secular morality or the morality of the state really does not fit the real universe as as we shall put it and Gomes have you ever heard of someone say oh it might be true for you but it's not for me yeah yeah definitely and 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 where do you think that comes from do you think it comes from a state of postmodern relativism definitely yeah these people just grew up being taught that yeah lovely and I, I think an issue with morality in the western world today is that it really is split between two lines really and there's like two whole chasms in between we know of the enlightenment but what some people don't know 
is that there was a counter movement towards the enlightenment which was called romanticism and i think it is the enlightenment that has been now referred to as modernism and it is romanticism that is now referred to as postmodernism the theologian francis schaeffer illustrated this division using a metaphor of two stories in a building where in the lower story of the building is empirical science which is held to be objectively true and testable because of these reasons it can be held in, in, in the realm of public truth that everyone must follow regardless of what they believe privately whereas the upper story in the realm is of morality and theology theology which is treated as private subjective and relative which is where i think we do hear that can be true for you but not true for me and as we will find out later this splitting is not healthy in fact the divides contributes greatly to the dehumanization of people it is what feeds into people finding excuses for things such as mass abortion or euthanasia and so on. Another way to look at it can be that there is a fact-value split. They maybe said there are certain facts, such as the sky is blue. That fact that the sky is blue is objective and it's valid for everyone and that is within the public domain. However, then there is this idea of values, which is like, oh, I might, you might believe that homosexual acts are wrong, but that is to you and that is for you in your private space, you know, and that's totally subjective, which, by the way, the problem of this now is what they are effectively saying is that the entirety of Christianity or Judaism are totally subjective, which is completely against what we know. The worldview in the West is so fragmented now and it is as if that we are, it's, it, it's like having two areas of philosophy screaming at each other across the widest chasm the world has ever seen and they're unwilling to come together. Can you see how this kind of goes into the split in Western thought in regards to the romantic tradition of postmodernism and the enlightenment tradition of modernism? Yeah, definitely. And I can see that in uh, full force on campuses here in Portugal. We're still a pretty conservative country, even though our government's socialist. The morality is, it's, it's super strong Catholic, Portugal has been historically. So it's still got this Christian worldview as a majority. And on the campus, we can see this divide. I'm in an engineering school and we're much more conservative and much more in line with this uh, enlightenment type of thinking because we're trained from the age of 18, at least, that, you know, maths... It, there's only one right answer and reality it's only got one right answer if for example in civil engineering if if we don't have the right calculations the right deductions everything correctly the bridge will probably fall down so you have to do it right there's no subjectivism there's no uh relativism you've got to do it right same with mathematics which is logic uh in the universal language which is mathematics and um the sciences same thing but when you move over to psychology when you move over to sociology the liberal arts it's it's like almost a different country if you go there it's super liberal super progressive woke all those things and i think somewhere in between is economics and business studies and stuff that's kind of in between but yeah i can see that plainly in real life yeah and i think we can say the same we can see the same thing in england as well and in, in general throughout the western world that certain areas are far more bent on enlightenment values and i think these enlightenment values can be laid out as things like empiricism rationalism materialism and naturalism whereas in other areas the romantic 
tradition is far more visible, which focuses on matters, on questions such as justice, freedom, morals and meaning, where you get things such as idealism, Marxism, existentialism and postmodernism. And so on one side you have tried to go through, the, the Enlightenment can be kind of like said to be, well, can you fit it in a test tube? <laughs> where, where, whereas the Romantic movement is, in, is more about, I think the, extre- the extremity of the Western world today is very much about feelings. Yeah, because here in in the sciences and engineering, we know we look at the world as an objective world. We study there are laws which describe reality. Those laws are immovable. You can't be subjective. We we we're taught to look at the world with an objective lens. Compare that to linguistics and uh, sociology. You know, that's literally whoever has the best imagination wins. So. <laughs> So yeah, that's a big divide. And one of the things you touched on is uh, the problem nowadays is I think we're moving past, we're starting to move past idea that, well, okay, so you believe homosexuality is wrong, you don't practice it. I believe there's no problem with it. I'll do what I want. And that's kind of like this liberal libertarian idea, which was kind of an enlightenment idea as well. Yet we're moving past this where they are creating this religious structure where I can practice it and you have to practice it as well. They've moved to saying that if you aren't attracted to some man that transitioned into a woman, if, you, if you're if you repulsed by that in some way, then you're transphobic. So they're, they're pushing it onto just normal people and, and they're forcing them to believe it as well. So it was, it was already bad before because of relativism, but now they're forcing it onto us. And sadly, whilst we were allowed to live our lives and they lived theirs, I guess we didn't do enough political fighting or fighting in society. And now that they're forcing it onto us, you know, it's uh, hard. Yeah. On the subject of abortion, for example, as well, there was a British broadcaster who went under the name of Miranda Sawyer. Have you, have you heard of her? No. She describes herself as a liberal feminist. And she wrote an article where she'd said she'd always been firmly pro-choice. Until, however, she became pregnant with her own baby. And then she began to struggle. And I quote her now. I was calling the life inside me a baby because I wanted it. Yet if I hadn't, I would think of it just as a group of cells that it was okay to kill. Mm. That seemed irrational to me, maybe even immoral. However, she then goes to say, in, in, in her conclusion, in the end, I have to agree that life begins at conception. So yes, abortion is ending that life. Yeah. And then she adds, but perhaps the fact of life isn't what is important. It's whether that life has grown enough to start becoming a person, close quote. Mm. And straight off, straight off the bat, what, what do you think about that quote? Well, it's dehumanizing saying that you can be a human because at conception, that is a human, okay? There's, it's not some other animal or some... Uh, it's a human. And to say that a human can be different from a person, I would say all humans are people and all people are humans. So it's... It's dehumanising. Yeah, same thing with euthanasia as well. Definitely. And you can see how she has split the idea of being a human and being a person from one another. She split it almost into like, well, you can be a body, but it doesn't necessarily make you a person. And we will go over to the euthanasia Mm -hmm. in a bit. What exact day of the pregnancy 
does this human non-person become a human person? If you ask me, that is something that is totally subjective in their eyes. But I also think it's actually wrong. And I think science does not actually support this view at all. Scientists are found within cells and even the smallest atoms that they have somewhat of nucleuses of sorts. And within these nucleuses, they have loads and loads and loads of information. And this information tells it what to do. And this is the same thing, you know, it, it, it's to such an extent now that scientists aren't trying to find just a general origin of the universe, but they're trying to find, well, the, the origin of information. What, what was the first piece of information that told everything else what to do, potentially? All, all that of all. And I just think, well, a fetus, no matter what the size of it, is exactly the same thing. It is made up of cells, and it is doing exactly what we do outside of mm -hmm. the womb. It's growing, and it's ageing, and it's developing. You can see how it leads to the idea of euthanasia, in a sense. Mm -hmm. Because you're saying, okay, well, it's got to be at this point before it's worthy to live. And then it'll get to like a superior point in its life, like 25. And then as it begins to decline, its worth of life becomes irrelevant. And you may as well just kill it, like mm. basically abort it or euthanasia, as, as we would say. But I don't think that's the case. I think that that person within the womb, it has the ability, is a person, and all it does is it just gains, it learns, and it gains the ability as it develops. Do you agree? Yeah, I know that about it, because this is basically the culmination of their relativism, because they're deciding if that is a human or not based on the uh, mother's feelings basically because if you if you murder a woman and she's pregnant then i think it's considered double homicide or something like that because it is a human it is a person yet if she doesn't want to have it then it isn't a person so basically another person's humanity or another human's personhood uh, is based on someone else's feelings and that's just bad. And thankfully, we're, we're living in a time where we still remember the times where it wasn't like this. But in 50 years, when they look back to their grandparents and their grandparents believed uh, these types of things, and they also believe these types of things, the world's going to be a much worse place, I think, because we won't have any, the people won't have any any knowledge of what it was like to not have other people, to have, to have the whole of the world defined by someone's, the government or someone's, uh, subjective feelings. Definitely. I mean, recall, recall Sawyer's words here. I quote, the fact of life isn't what is important, Christ quote. And it's as if human life in itself is thought to have no value and what we do with it has no moral significance. And so is she, are you, who support abortion, are you seriously saying that the early stages of life of an unborn baby has so little value that it can be killed for any reason or no reason without any moral consequence. You, you definitely agree, I'm sure, that that is an incredibly low view of life. A ridiculously. And that by sheer chance, by sheer logic, you're saying that sometime a baby becomes a person at a later date, at which point it acquires such a high value that it is not worth killing. It would be worth a crime. If you look at the, the this environmentalism as well, they're they're pretty anti-human. Uh, I mean, it's 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 run by ideology a lot of it. 
I'm not saying that there isn't science behind some of it, but a lot of it is run by ideology. A lot of people, these activists, they des- they would desire for no fossil fuels to be used from tomorrow on. That would be a big victory. and But then the consequences, unimaginable. You know, the whole of the Southern Hemisphere would stop working and the Northern Hemisphere as well. But the, the Southern Hemisphere, they rely on these cheap forms of energy. And you just to try and cancel fossil fuels now is very damaging to, to people's lives and economies. But they don't care. As long as the ideology gets through uh, their feelings, then that's good enough. It's not based on uh, good economics anyways. And I think a, I think a really big part of this viewpoint is a hatred of nature in some ways uh, a hatred a hatred of reading nature and seeing nature as something that is something that is indeed very low i mean look at what the bible says you know something like psalms chapter 19 verse 1 the heavens declare the glory of god to the skies proclaim the work of his hands Mm-hmm. Or in Romans chapter one twenty, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. And I think what Christianity suggests is that well, the two sides really should come together. Yes, you know, God created this world, and He said it was good. God created physical man; He said it is good. And yes, it's fallen world, but we've also got to remember that at the time of the second coming, this world is going to be made anew. We've been given new bodies not being totally separated from it in fact the idea of death is kind of like a shock to the spirit as as a result of the eating of the fruit the the, the point that i'm trying to get at is that the, the philosophy behind these people seems to be quite like gnosticism in which in some ways like the body is rejected for the favoring of what the mind wants as opposed to the body and the mind working in unison yeah, it's this like I it's this idea. The the Gnostics also had and have this idea that they they're this illuminated bunch, and you know you can only be a Gnostic if you're illuminated and you're superior to everyone else. And this illuminated feelings that they have that's completely Gnostic. And you can only join the club of the righteous if you repent. And even repenting's not good enough because there's no forgiveness for them. You just have to be morally virtuous and care so much about everyone else, but in the wrong ways. It's a complete flip of what the West has built in the past hundreds of years. So it's sad, but this new worldview has, in the West, in some countries in the West, taken the majority. And I think the only reason that we're still we 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 still have some semblance of religious liberty and and things like that it's because half of the population still remembers what it was like before and doesn't want to throw it away completely but i think in 50 years things might be different yeah definitely and as as you know during the early times of christianity there were a number of gnostics that tried to infiltrate christianity and they kind of tried to impress their gnostic beliefs upon christians but actually when it came down to persecution it wasn't the gnostics that got persecuted but it was the actual christians because what the christians were saying was totally revolutionary it was totally 
uh, according to the current philosophy of the time, totally crazy. Because instead of the material world being grim and how could a god ever come down to it, not only do you have this idea of God coming down as Jesus Christ, but also dying, and then not only dying, but also coming back alive in the body and then ascending into heaven in the body. And that is totally mental for, for Gnostic people, for people with Gnostic, that Gnostic kind of philosophies. Because you think, whoa, hang on a second. What we've been taught is in our Gnosticism, in our paganism, is that the material world stinks. Not even the lowliest god would come down, surely, to the earth in human form. Never mind go up to heaven in human form. And, and so it drove them barking mad. Not only that, but Christianity taught about the purity of the body. And, you know, we have the law of Moses in Le Leviticus. 17 that says you know do not do as the, the people of the land that you have come from or the land that you are going to are doing and so the bible very much teaches this morality of the body with the unity of the soul and that in some ways they are meant to be kind of like together whereas i think in the western world we're having very much a repeat of this gnosticism of the separation of oh i was put in the wrong body it's like no you weren't yeah, they, they think their thoughts uh, are so sophisticated and above our simple faith, this Christian simple faith, but it is this simple faith that saves us in Jesus. Is there something else, something more you want to say? The first half of what I want to say, I've just covered in that Gnosticism. However, the second part is called being teleological, that the human body is part of nature, then it is likewise teleological in the sense that it has been it has a built-in purpose part of which is expressed as the moral law in that we are morally obligated to treat people in a way that helps them fulfill their purpose thus explains why biblical morality is not arbitrary in essence morality is the guidebook to, to fulfilling god's original purpose for humanity the instruction manual for becoming the kind of person god intends us to be in the roadmap for reaching the human telos teleological which is sometimes called the natural law of ethics but in in essence in in this purpose-driven view there is no dichotomy between body and person in the sense that the two together form an integrated psycho-physical unity in the essence like we respect and honor our bodies as part of the revelation of god's purpose for our lives and that part of the trade order that is declaring the glory of god the only implication really being that this physical structure of our bodies reveals clues to our personal identities and just while i'm on that point for for example like home people wanted to perform homosexual acts where our human bodies do not suggest that we do such a matter in fact it says to fulfill our purpose it is more inclined that we go with a woman as a man and woman make one flesh and it and it does cover those that those two divides anyway for our listeners a book that i'd recommend that i am currently reading is a book called Love Thy Body, written by Nancy R. Piercy, uh, which is about answering hard questions about life and sexuality. And I'm just reading this book at the moment to widen my breadth, and I have quoted from this book during this podcast as well, and it is so useful. I'd highly recommend it. I think that's a good introduction. We'll, in the next episodes, go through some, going more in depth into these topics. Uh, we'll be talking about homosexuality, transgenderism, uh, some racial issues, uh, maybe some societal slash economic issues and things like that. And it'll be much more deep. Yeah, it'll be more in depth. It'll be wonderful to have you listening on next time. Uh, in the next episode, uh, you can listen to us on YouTube, follow us on Twitter. The links will be in the description and have a good day.